You're listening to Isaiah, a sermon series from Coram Deo Church in Omaha, Nebraska. For more resources, visit cdomaha.com. Would you say that your life is marked by a persistent sense of joy? I'm not talking about fleeting pleasure or momentary satisfaction, but a lasting joy. Are you a joy-filled person? That's the life God created you for. That's what God desires for you. All of us have likely experienced moments of joy, glimpses of joy. The sight of a beautiful sunset. The strength of a deep friendship. The wonder of a child's birth. C.S. Lewis once said that these things are the scent of a flower we have not found. The echo of a tune we have not heard. News from a country we have never yet visited. These experiences hint at something we know to be true, but have only faintly tasted. And all of us want to move beyond these little hints of joy to a life marked by perpetual joy. We get a glimpse of joy and we want more of it. We want to be marked by a persistent and pervasive sense of joy. But all too often the reality is that our lives are marked by one of three opposites to joy. Number one, anxiety. A life of joy is a life of restfulness. There's a a peacefulness to joy. Many of us have never quite known that. Sort of go through life with a white-knuckled nervousness. It's hard to enjoy life when we're worried about what life will bring. There's a second opposite to joy, and that is despair. The idea of joy brings with it a baseline optimism. A fundamentally positive orientation toward life. This is why the Apostle Paul in 2 Corinthians can say that he is sorrowful, yet always rejoicing. Joy means that even in our saddest moments, life is tinged with hope and optimism. Many of us have never known that. We live on the edge of despair. There's a third opposite to joy. It's what we might call grinding it out. The way we tend to live life just doing the best we can, putting our head down, and getting work done. Getting life done. On to the next thing. A life of joy has moments of playfulness. Moments of fun. It allows us not to take ourselves so seriously. To lighten up. And yet many of us don't experience that. Rather we experience the sort of nose to the grindstone reality of grinding it out. Getting on to the next 
thing making life work? Which of these joy defeaters do you recognize in yourself? Which of them do you recognize in your family? Which of these can you relate to in your own experience? Could we invite the Holy Spirit this morning to to show us something different? To usher us into a new reality. To capture us with a deep and lasting joy that changes the disposition of how we engage life. The prophet Isaiah knows something about joy. He knows that joy is rooted in anticipation. You learned this as a child at Christmas, right? The reason this is a joyful time of year, especially for children, is that it is a time marked by anticipation. If there is a gift under the tree with your name on it, you're overwhelmed with excitement at what that might be, right? There's this sense of excitement and anticipation, just wondering, what is that? That's for me. It has my name on it. I wonder what's in there. I don't know how you do Christmas at your house, but my wife and I sort of like to wrap gifts in a clandestine manner and then just sort of deposit them under the tree when our kids aren't looking. And so occasionally they'll, they'll come downstairs and go, oh, there's a new gift here. Whose is it? They'll get excited, hey, it has your name on it, and shake it, and right begin to wonder what's in there. This is a joyful time of year because it has within it a sense of anticipation, a sense of longing. This is what we're tapping into as Christians in the season of Advent, the anticipation, the longing for the coming of Christ. But when does that kid-like joy at Christmas time subside? Usually on Christmas afternoon, right? When the first Lego piece has been lost, or the doll's clothes don't fit right, or the remote control helicopter didn't come with batteries. There's a loss of the sense of anticipation. All the waiting is over, and now we're back to just life as we know it with a new set of toys. Isaiah realizes that joy is connected to anticipation, and One of the most profound writers on joy, C.S. Lewis, recognized this same thing. Listen to what Lewis observes about joy. All joy, as distinct from mere pleasure, emphasizes our pilgrim status. It always reminds, beckons, awakens desire. Our best havings our wantings. He goes on to say, our lifelong nostalgia, our longing to be reunited with something in the universe from which we now feel cut off, to be on the inside of some door which we've always seen from the outside. This is the truest index of our real situation. What if that's something we feel cut off from, we were reunited with? What if that door that we've only seen from the outside finally swung open to us? 
My friends, that's what awaits us. That's what Isaiah wants us to see with eyes of faith this morning. If joy is rooted in anticipation, what Isaiah wants to do is heighten your anticipation by showing you what is to come. As we talk about the story of the gospel, the narrative of the gospel here at Coram Deo, we often use the language of creation, fall, redemption, and consummation. We spend a lot of our time working in the categories of fall and redemption because after all, those are the most present to us. What Isaiah wants to do for us this morning is work in the category of consummation. He wants to show us what's coming. He wants to give us a hint of the gifts that await us in the fullness of God's kingdom. And by revealing that, by showing that, by painting us a picture of what is to come, He wants to heighten our anticipation and therefore our joy in the present. It's chapter 65. There's one more Sunday and one more chapter. We've been waiting the whole year to get to this. So let's open our Bibles together and take a look at Isaiah's portrait of the new heavens and the new earth. Isaiah chapter 65, verse 17 through the end of the chapter. I'm going to read it for us. For behold... I create new heavens and a new earth. And the former things shall not be remembered or come into mind. But be glad and rejoice forever in that which I create. For behold, I create Jerusalem to be a joy and her people to be a gladness. I will rejoice in Jerusalem and be glad in my people. No more shall be heard in it the sound of weeping and the cry of distress. No more shall there be in it an infant who lives but a few days or an old man who does not fill out his days. For the young man shall die a hundred years old and a sinner a hundred years old shall be accursed. They shall build houses and inhabit them. They shall plant vineyards and eat their fruit. They shall not build and another inhabit. They shall not plant and another eat. For like the days of a tree shall the days of my people be. And my chosen shall long enjoy the work of their hands. They shall not labor in vain or bear children for calamity, for they shall be the offspring of the blessed of the Lord and their descendants with them. Before they call, I will answer, and while they are yet speaking, I will hear. The wolf and the lamb shall graze together, the lion shall eat straw like the ox, and dust shall be the serpent's food. They shall not hurt or destroy in all my holy mountain, says the Lord. This is God's Word. You might have noticed that we've been preaching two, three chapters at a time lately. So I've been anxious to get to a section that is shorter, where we can spend just more time digesting the words and the sentences and the phrases. So that's what we're going to do this morning. This text is in many ways like a diamond. Isaiah is saying, Let me just turn it so you can see all the facets, all the perspectives on the new heavens and the new earth. Let me me pile up phrases and images to give you a sense, a picture of what this is going to be like. So what I want us to do this morning is just to turn that diamond, just to spin and look through the various facets of the new heavens and 
and the new earth. And so my sermon this morning has nine points. They only have, they'll only take about two minutes each, all right? So we'll be done in a normal time. You're not going to be here till after lunch. But, but I, I want to look at nine facets of this joy that is to come. Nine perspectives on the new heavens and new earth. Not, nine things Isaiah is showing us that ought to fill us with joy and that connect to joy that we already know. So let's look at nine facets of the joy to come. Number one. The joy of familiarity. The joy of familiarity. Some of you will go home for Christmas. And one of the things that's most endearing about home, most joyful about home, is that it's familiar. It's a place we know. Likewise, notice what Isaiah says in verse 17, For behold, I create new heavens and a new earth. One of the questions people often ask me is, hey, what will heaven be like? What will the kingdom of God be like? The answer is it'll be a lot like what you know now, only better. Notice the language Isaiah uses, new heavens and a new earth. In other words, new yet the same. The word new could actually be translated renewed or repaired. The idea is, this isn't a brand new thing we're not, we don't have any connection to. It's a renewal of what we know and experience. The new heavens and the new earth will be recognizable to you. They'll have that joy that is familiar of coming back home to a place you've always known, and yet that place looks and smells and feels renewed. The future that awaits us is not some nebulous ethereal other world it is a renewed material creation free of evil sin brokenness stuff not working right and all of the complexities of the fall that we now experience isaiah says to you and me this morning rejoice there's a renewed world coming It will bring with it the joy of familiarity. Not a stale familiarity, but a homecoming kind of familiarity. Here's a second facet of the joy that that the new heavens and the new earth bring us. The joy of receiving. Part of the joy of Christmas is the joy of receiving, right? The joy of receiving gifts. Of someone giving you something that you didn't expect The new heavens and the new earth are a gift. There's something we receive. Notice again verse 17. For behold, I create new heavens and a new earth. Notice the emphasis on God's action. God's creation. The pressure is not on us to remake the world. Rather, the new heavens and the new earth are a gift of God's grace. They are His creation. Isaiah says, rejoice, people of God. There's a new world coming. A world that God will create. A world that you don't create through your anxious toil and striving, but rather a world He creates by His sovereign grace. And so this changes how we get to enter in now to the work of 
renewal, how we get to join in the joy of redemption as we sang a few moments ago. The pressure's not on us to make the world better. Rather, we get the joyful rest of anticipating the world that the Father is going to bring. We go about works of justice and charity and mercy in this world with a sense of restfulness, anticipating that one day this is what it will all be like. The joy of receiving the new heavens and the new earth, a gift from our Heavenly Father. Here's the third facet. We haven't even moved out of verse 17 yet. The joy of forgetting. I create a new heavens and a new earth, and the former things shall not be remembered or come into mind. Can you imagine a world where the troubles of this life will not be remembered? My youngest child is now eight years old, and so here's what that means for my family. It means it's been about five years since we've had to buy diapers. Ten years of my life were spent buying and changing diapers. Some of you are in that season right now, and it feels like it will never end. There's no hope of you ever forgetting the ongoing daily reality of raising little kids and changing diapers. And all the chaos that brings with it, right? The constant oversight and, and sort of chasing and running and corralling very active and energetic little children. But here's what I can tell you. Only five years removed from that season. All I remember is the joy of those years and not the frustration of them. There's something about time that sort of you, you forget the lesser the less exciting moments of that. And what you remember are the high points, the, the fun of little kids and, and all those exciting little things that you experience with them. All I remember is the joy of those years and not the madness and insanity of them. There is hope for those of you that are in those years right now. Isaiah says the new heavens and the new earth are going to be kind of like that. The, the current reality, the old world won't even be remembered. This is a fascinating thought. It's fascinating to think about the function of memory in the human psyche and what it will be like to live in a world where we don't need to remember the past. See, in this world, remembering is important to safety, right? When we've been sinned against or when we've been hurt, the reason it's important to remember that is so that we don't put ourselves in that place again. We don't want to forget that because we want to protect ourselves against the possibility of being hurt or betrayed again. And so when people sin against us, memory is important. Listen to Miroslav Volf as he reflects on the difference between this world and the world to come. Quote, If we must remember wrongdoings in order to be safe in an unsafe world, we must also let go of their memory in order to be finally redeemed. When we reach the other side, and the bridge connecting the new to the old is destroyed so as to prevent the old from ever invading the new, the last part of the bridge to disappear 
will be the memory of the old. Rejoice, my friends. There's a new world coming. Here's a fourth facet of the joy that Isaiah holds out for us. The joy of community. Verse 18. But be glad and rejoice forever in that which I create. For behold, I create Jerusalem to be a joy and her people to be a gladness. In the new heavens and the new earth, we will experience only the best of one another and none of the worst. Can you imagine being in a gospel community where the only thing you experience of one another is all the best that you have to offer? No one forgets to bring a meal. No one doesn't show up without letting you know. No one hijacks the conversation and goes on a 20-minute monologue while you're all sitting there going, what does this have to do with the Bible? None of that. Only the best of one another. Part of the joy of the new heavens and the new earth is the joy of renewed human community. Experiencing the satisfaction of being with one another in a world where all the unsavory parts of our character will be washed away and cleansed and all that's left is the image of God present in each and every one of us. Rejoice. There's a new world coming. Number five, the fifth facet of this joy that Isaiah paints for us is the joy of God's joy. Isn't it true that sometimes the greatest joy comes from watching the joy of other people? This is why it's fun to be a parent at Christmas time, right? Because part of the joy you get is just watching your kids have fun and enjoy what they get, right? Like, there's that commercial, I don't know if you guys have seen this, but there's a a commercial out right now of this kid that got a drum set for Christmas and his parents got noise-canceling headphones. And so the videos, they're just sitting on the couch drinking coffee and just watching him play his drums. That's a great commercial. Like, yep, that's a lot of the joy of Christmas right there. Hey, kid. Have a good time. We're going to enjoy our noise-canceling headphones while you play your drums. Notice what Isaiah points to. Verse 19. This is God speaking. I will rejoice in Jerusalem and be glad in my people. My friends, can you imagine the joy that will accrue to you and me as our Father rejoices in the good of what He has redeemed? The one who all of your sin is against. The one who all of the brokenness in the world offends. He will rejoice in Jerusalem and be glad in His people. And we will experience the joy of His rejoicing. The joy of His delight in us. The joy of the world as He intends for it to be, and His eternal rejoicing in His own goodness and glory. Rejoice, Isaiah says. There's a new world coming. Number six, the joy of human flourishing. Verse 19, second half of the verse. No more shall be heard in it the sound of weeping and the cry of distress. No more shall there be in it an infant who lives but a few days, or an old man who does not fill out his days. For the young man shall die a hundred years old, and the sinner a hundred years old shall be accursed. You say, hold on, I thought there was no death in the new heavens and the new earth. There's not. 
Notice what Isaiah is doing. Listen to Alec Montier as he describes this. Things we have no real capacity to understand can be expressed only through things we know and experience. So it is that in this present order of things, death cuts life off before it has well begun or before it has fully matured. But it will not be so then. No infant will fail to enjoy life, nor an elderly person come short of total fulfillment. Over the whole of life, from infancy to old age, the power of death will be destroyed. Isaiah's not saying you'll get to 100 years old and then you'll die. He's trying to grab things we understand from this world to give us some sense of what that world will be like. And he says, here's what it's like. There's not going to be an infant who dies in infancy. There's not going to be an old man who doesn't enjoy the fullness of maturity. The power of death will be destroyed. He will swallow up death and wipe the tears from our faces. Rejoice, Isaiah says. There's a new world coming. Number seven. The joy of fulfillment. Verses 21 through 23. They shall build houses and inhabit them. They shall plant vineyards and eat their fruit. They shall not build and another inhabit. They shall not plant and another eat. For like the days of a tree shall the days of my people be. And my chosen shall long enjoy the work of their hands. They shall not labor in vain or bear children for calamity. If you know your Bible, you better hear echoes of Genesis 3 right there. For they shall be the offspring of the blessed of the Lord and their descendants with them. How much of your work and your labor and your toil in this world do you never get to experience the results of? You spend months cultivating a contact only to see another salesperson close the deal and get the commission. You spend weeks of your life writing code for an app that will be obsolete in five years. You spend a whole year investing in the education of students who seem more interested in text messaging their friends than in learning. In the new heavens and the new earth, you will not labor in vain. You will long enjoy the work of your hands. Can you imagine work apart from the curse? where everything you do is fruitful and blesses people and you experience the benefit and the happiness of seeing the work of your hands established. Rejoice! There's a new world coming. Number eight. The eighth facet of the diamond, as Isaiah keeps turning it, is the joy of communion with God. Verse 24. Before they call, I will answer. And while they are yet speaking, I will hear. Isn't it true of your relationship with God in this world that there's friction? Seems like sometimes you're out of sync with God. You're crying out to Him, but it doesn't seem like He hears. Trying to seek Him, but it doesn't seem like He's there. 
Isaiah's been pointing us back over and over again to the reality that that's because of human sinfulness. It's not that God's not there, unwilling to be found. It's that our sin creates friction and, and uh, static in our relationship with him. It makes it hard for us to experience communion with God because we are broken and our sin separates us from God, as Isaiah has told us back in chapter 59. In the new heavens and the new earth, before you call, God will answer. While you're still speaking, he will hear all the friction and all the tension that exists between humans and God, all the out-of-syncness in that relationship, though it's redeemed in Christ, will finally and fully be removed. Rejoice. There's a new world coming. The ninth and final facet of this new heavens and new earth that Isaiah wants to hold up for us is the joy of shalom. Shalom is a Hebrew word that means wholeness, peace, the putting back together of a world that has been torn apart. Look at verse 25. The wolf and the lamb shall graze together. The lion shall eat straw like the ox, and dust shall be the serpent's food. They shall not hurt or destroy in all my holy mountains, says the Lord. I hope you see again in the middle of that verse a reference back to Genesis chapter 3. The crushing of the serpent. In the new heavens and the new earth, there will be wholeness, peace, shalom. The wolf and the lamb grazing together. The lion eating straw like the ox. This is one of the passages I I, I love. I was talking to an atheist one time, and he said, this is just proof the Bible doesn't make any sense. The lion is an apex predator, man. It's a carnivore. What's God going to do? Like change his whole bone structure, and its teeth are going to change from carnivorous teeth into omnivorous teeth? I said, you don't read a lot of poetry, do you? You don't listen to a lot of music. I mean, I don't want to offend you, brother, but sure, if that's what it takes for God to make this happen, right? This is, agreeably, this is a world we do not know even what it would look like, right? A lion would probably have to have different teeth to go out in the pasture and graze with the cows. I don't exactly know how that's all going to work, but that's not the point, right? This is not a science textbook. This is poetry. Isaiah is saying, look, bloodshed, death, destruction, misery, those things are gone, and what replaces them is wholeness and shalom, the world knit back together, peace, harmony, the way God meant the world to be. Rejoice. There's a new world coming. Isaiah is painting us this portrait of what is to come so that we will anticipate that and so that Right now, our sense of joy is heightened as we look forward to what is to come. My friends, when Jesus came into the world as a little baby at Christmas, this new world was breaking into the old world. This is what Jesus came to inaugurate. Joy to the world, the Lord is come. This is not just future, this is present. This joy is not merely future joy. 
This joy is ours for the taking right now. This is why we worship the Lord Jesus. Let me just make the connection real cleanly for you. The new heavens and the new earth, this new world where there will be no weeping, no mourning, no pain, no anxiety, no frustration. That new world is only for new people. We can't bring our sin and selfishness into that new world. We'd ruin it, right? So what we need is we need to be changed. We need to be made into new people who are prepared to inhabit this new world. We can't end up in that world the way we are now. Something has to change about us. That new world is only suitable for a new kind of person. We need to be changed. We need to be made ready for that new world. And that's what Jesus came to do. Jesus, the book of 2 Corinthians tells us, is the second Adam. The head, the the source, the beginning of a new humanity. Jesus came to create a new people in His image who can be made ready then to inhabit this new world. This is why when Jesus came in Advent, came as a baby in a manger in humility, the new world is breaking in. That new creation is beginning now as God remakes the hearts of people. 2 Corinthians 5.17, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The recreation of the world begins right now with the recreation of you and me in and through the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus came into this old world and brought the new world to bear on it so that we might be changed into new people capable of inhabiting a new world. And we live in the tension of that. We live in between the already and the not yet. We who have been made new in Christ know that there's still work to be done, right? We still are not as we will be. And so there's a part of us that longs with creation for that final consummation when all sin will be removed, when we will finally be like Jesus. But listen to me, that process is even going on this morning. Being made like Christ, being made new, is happening even this morning as He conforms us more and more to the image of His Son by and through the Holy Spirit. Jesus came to bring this world into our reality that we might be made new and prepared for a world that is to come. That's the good news of Advent. Isaiah says, rejoice! A new world is coming. And that new world is present even in seed form, in sapling form here this morning as the kingdom of God goes forward in the proclamation of the gospel and as Jesus changes hearts and makes people new. And so this morning, the call to you and me is the same. Trust in Jesus. Hope in Jesus. Let Jesus make you new. This is the world we all want. This is the world we long for. And the only way to get there is for us to be changed. Let's let Jesus change us. And then let's continue to live 
in ways that anticipate, that foreshadow, that hint at, and that point to the new heavens and the new earth. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for the prophet Isaiah. We thank you for your inspired word through him. We confess, I don't even have a category for what it means for lions to eat straw. I don't have a category for wolves and lambs hanging out together in the pasture. God, there there are things in this description that tap into our deepest longings and they yet seem beyond our wildest dreams. Father, let us embrace the beauty, the joy, the anticipation of this new heavens and new earth. Would you this morning fill us with joy? Let us be like kids on Christmas, anticipating the gifts that we are to receive. God, defeat our anxiety. Defeat our fear. Defeat our tendency to grind it out. Defeat our despair and come and renew in us a joyful anticipation of this new heavens and new earth. Jesus, change us. Come now and make some of us brand new creations. Come now and renew others of us with a renewed joy and optimism and hope for the world that is coming. And may that change the way we live in the world that is, so that you might be glorified. Amen.